The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award-winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 8. Mr. Boss Man The vital statistics office of San Mateo was in a blocky wood frame building behind a county hospital and a residential section of town. The placard outside the office promised birth certificates, death certificates, and more intriguingly, medical marijuana program ID cards, but didn't say anything about burial transit permits. The reception desk had workspaces for just two clerks, and only one of them was staffed, by a young woman with fuchsia hair whose breasts pushed out the plunging neckline of her dress like bread dough rising out of a too small pan. When I walked up, she was giving her gum and the retraction mechanism of her ballpoint pen a workout in time to some music emanating from one of the cubicles behind her. She gave the pen a final click and pointed at me, smiling. And what can I help you with, good sir? I'd like to get a copy of a document. That's what we're here for. Birth or death? Neither exactly, but more on the death side of the ledger. I'm looking for a copy of a burial transit permit. That seemed to throw her for a loop. The gum chewing ground to a halt. We only hold those for a year. Are you sure you don't want the death certificate? Those we keep permanently. I bellied up a little closer to the counter, moving aside a potted cactus that also had a little wig of fuchsia hair woven into its uppermost needles. Cute cactus, I said, trying my best to ingratiate. The problem with the death certificate is the person I'm looking for died out of state. Out of the country, actually. She was buried here, though, so I was hoping to locate the permit. She frowned and opened her mouth to speak, but another more gravelly voice issued instead. What year? It demanded. A middle-aged woman with short gray hair and reading glasses on a beaded cord popped up from behind a cubicle partition. Apart from her age and hair color, she looked disconcertingly like the younger woman. It's probably a waste of time, but what year? She repeated. 1974. October, 1974. Huh, she said, and advanced towards the reception desk until she was standing just behind the younger woman. You might just be in luck, but why don't you kind of try not draping yourself all over the counter? Priscilla here is flashing enough cleavage without you promoting yourself the skybox view. I felt heat rise to my cheeks, and Priscilla hissed a sotto voce. Mother! Holding up my hands in mock surrender, I dipped my head in acknowledgement and took a healthy step back. You said I might be in luck. Do you have permits from 1974? There's a period of nine years that we have the permits on microfiche. They begin in 1970 when the responsibility for records retention moved from the assessor clerk recorder's office to us and they end in 1978 when Prop 13 cut county funding all to hell. And would I be correct in assuming that you were here the whole time? All but six months when I took time to have my precious darling here. 
Why don't you write the particulars for the person you're interested in on the back of one of those yellow forms, and I'll see if I can get our old fiche machine to cooperate. And don't forget to give me the name of the cemetery. I took one of the yellow forms off a stack near the cactus and carried it to the other end of the counter to be as far from Priscilla as possible. I scribbled down all the facts I had on Maria and passed the paper over to Mom. She looked it over and nodded. You might want to step out and get yourself a cup of coffee. It'll be at least 30 minutes. Coffee, I decided, was something I'd had enough of. But I did take a short walk down to his sub shop I'd passed on the way in to grab lunch. Two beers, an Italian meatball sandwich, and a marinara tie stain later, and I was waddling back up the sidewalk to the vital statistics office when I spotted a pearl-gray Porsche parked out in front. No one was in the car, and there was nothing to identify the owner on the dash or the seats. I made a mental note of the plate number and hurried up to the entrance of the county building. Just as I was reaching for the door handle, the glass door pushed open, and I found my way blocked by a life-size Ken doll made for the Latin market. He had slicked-back hair, mirrored aviator glasses, and olive skin that was prettier than Barbie's. He was wearing a suit made of blue fabric with the slightest of sheens, and when he caught sight of me, he flashed an open-mouthed smile, like a shark laughing. A slightly shorter, slightly dumber-looking version of the same Ken doll stood just behind him. I looked at the shoulders of the Ken nearest me and decided he might just be a 48 regular. Nice suit, I said. But I saw an even classier one before. Something you might wear to your girlfriend's funeral if you bothered to attend. The pen may be mightier than the sword, but sometimes a loud mouth just gets you in trouble. Big Ken shook his head like he didn't know what I was talking about, made as if to go around me, and then launched a ballistic knee missile right into my groin. The pain was like tapping into a high-tension power line. I tried to bite my kneecaps, tottered like a drunken stork, and tipped over onto the sidewalk. Nice testicles, said Big Ken, as he and his twin filed past me. I concentrated on breathing and not having my eyeballs bulge out of their sockets and barely registered the sound of a Porsche starting and pulling away from the curb. Eventually, I found the moral courage to roll over and hoist myself upright. The next challenge was preventing the meatball sub from doing an emergency surface. I gritted my teeth and blotted sweat from my forehead with the fat end of my tie while I waited for the moment to pass. It was a long wait. When the pain and nausea had simmered down from otherworldly to merely unbearable, I staggered through the building door and up to the counter of the vital statistics office. Priscilla and Mom stared. Boy, said the older woman. Whatever you had did not agree with you. No kidding. Were you able to locate the permit? Yes, said Mom. You didn't happen to give a copy to the nice gentlemen who were just here, did you? I did. They said they were with you, but it doesn't matter. The records are public and available to anyone who requests them. Democracy at work. How about one for me, then? Of course. I'll give you the one I made from the fiche. Five dollars, please. I levered my wallet out of my hip pocket, extracted a fiver with shaking fingers, 
and dropped it on the desk. Mom watched the performance with a skeptical frown, pocketed the bill, and put a stapled two-page photocopy in its place. Hope that's what you were expecting, she said. The form had application and permit for disposition of human remains, written along the top with spaces for pertinent details about the decedent, the informant, i.e. the person filing the permit, and six or seven checkboxes for authorized dispositions, with box A, burial or scattering in a cemetery, and box G, ship into California, checked. There was also a space for details about the destination cemetery, as well as the transit arrangements. Most of the information did indeed match what I was expecting. Maria was listed as the decedent. Her city of death was Milan, Italy. The informant was coffee grower Juan Valdez, and the cemetery was Cypress Lawn in Colma, California. There was just one little inconsistency. Maria's dates of birth and death were given as May 7, 1919, and July 26, 1952. That still made her 33 at the time of her death, but put her birth about 20 years earlier, and meant she was quite a bit older than Rivero. I folded the permit and filed it in the breast pocket of my jacket. Thank you, I said to Mom and Priscilla, who were still watching intently. It's very helpful. You're welcome, said Mom. Yeah, you're welcome, said Priscilla. And you've got spaghetti sauce on your forehead if you care. You have been listening to The Big Wake Up, a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Hoggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.